Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing engineer with Vortis Sound Studios, and I'm joined by, well, I'm actually not joined by anybody for the intro, but I'm doing an interview this week. So this week I'm doing an interview with David, who's the manager of Hell's Addiction. I think it's a really interesting chat that's well worth a listen, covering um, all sorts of things like what managers do, making connections in the music industry, and thinking of your band as a business, which is a very different approach to what a lot of people do. Um, so without any further ado, here is the interview with David. So today on the podcast, I'm joined by David Thorpe, who is the manager of Hell's Addiction. David, how are you? I am very well. Thanks, Phil. Um, nice to be on the show with you. Thank you. So I just wanted to chat about management and band managers and i guess also thinking about a band as a business because it's a, an approach that a lot of bands don't have but i think probably the best place to start is a very very simple question what does a band manager do day to day um the honest answer to that is i think there's 101 different colors of band manager out there and they all have their own idea of what they're supposed to be doing and where their responsibility ends for myself it's it's the central point of contact to at the most at the most fundamental level allow the band to focus just on what they need to be focusing on and you know concentrate on you know the word that get gets bandied around everywhere being a creative (laughs) so you know i field all all forms of communication that comes into the band but outside of that it's giving them um, a structure, particularly like at the moment with House Addiction, they're in the process of um, writing their third album and left to their own devices. And in fairness, they're a pretty well-structured band and pretty well-focused, but there's no way they'd hit the time limits and the timelines that, you know, they'll sit there and go, oh, you know, we'll have, we'll have it written by February. And, you know, you sort of sit there and you think, right, well, double that, add a bit, and then let's create a schedule that fills fills that timeline. So for myself, and they very often describe me as the person who does all the bits that aren't as much fun as standing on the stage, I do, you know, I I get to meet some very nice people and, you know, I get to go to places a lot of people don't get to go during the course of a gig, etc. But um, my job, in essence, is to make sure that they're hitting the deadlines um, and to understand, because you, you, you're dealing with so many people behind the scenes from, you know, PR people, magazines, interviewers, you know, and then the more important stuff like the studio, um, the bloke who's doing your artwork and it's got to look just right, your merch handlers, and it's making sure that the information you're giving them is accurate. It's, it takes a long while to build up a an element of trust in this marketplace and literally seconds and it's gone you know and people always remember your cock-ups they don't remember your successes so much but they they do really that if you hear a story being told about yourself it's always it always relates to something you got wrong you know nine times out of ten but like i say it's it's it can be a bit of a jack of all and master of none to some extent um but it's filling it's filling in and creating the structure that the band exists by, and discipline is a key one. Yeah. So you're there to 
be uh, a kind of, I guess, a gatekeeper for the band in a way, in that you talk to all the kind of relevant people that the band has to deal with, venue managers, studios, promoters, and things like that. But you're also there to guide the band into what they want to do creatively. So you're there to go, well, you, you want to release an album by this date. Um, well, then you need to have this and this and this done by this date, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's also getting them, you know, it's great to have motivation and excitement in a band, you know, but you really have to temper that to, it's very easy to have that conversation where, you know, this time next year, Rodney will be millionaires type thing. And it, <laughs> it, it just, it's, it can happen. Um, you know, Massive Wagons are doing very well at the moment. It happened to the darkness. Um, and going, you know, further back into the eons, you know, you had like, Ugly Kid Joe had been around for ages and they had one great hit and all, and, and they've lived off that since then. But with with Hell's Addiction, almost trying to think ahead and, and avoid some of the, you know, the pitfalls, making sure they're not getting taken advantage of as well, because the, the, it's very often the case in bands. I, I find musicians generally are really nice people, very open, very, they just want to have a good time as, as a lyric that's popped up in God knows how many singles, but it's it's getting them to just understand what's realistic, you know, without sort of making them think, oh God, you know, well we're doing all this work and you're not surely you're not telling us we're never going to make it, you know, and it's not about that. It's just sort of saying, look, you know, if you're not number one a week after the album's come out, doesn't mean you failed because there's so many other avenues to push it down. Yeah, and I think to some extent as well. And I've seen it in a lot of other bands that I've not officially worked for, but helped out. A lot of people, and it, you see it in every walk of life, they don't like having those uncomfortable conversations about money with a studio or with a merch supplier. You know, they, they're uncomfortable in those situations. It's not what they're used to. And, you know, I've got 20 odd years of working in business and you can sit me in front of anyone and... I'm quite happy to talk to anybody anywhere. It doesn't matter whether they're, you know, whether it's Richard Branson or Bilbo Baggins. I'm, I'm, I'm not fussed. So uh, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. So I guess you're also there to have the difficult conversations, whoever that needs to be with, to help the band succeed. Yeah, and sometimes that's with members of the band. How's Addiction's got five very strong-minded people in it, um, who are all in my opinion and the opinion of many others, you know, very talented musicians, very creative, and they've all got their own significant amount of music experience. So if, if a new track's being spoken about or someone says what should be the first single off the new album, I mean, there's a conversation you hope only takes five minutes, but that one went on for weeks, you know. And within that weeks-long period, there was three or four that... I'd, I'd had the statement, right, that's it, we've agreed on it now, it's definitely that. And three or four days later, I'd get a little message through the back door sort of thing. I'm, I'm not so sure about that now. You've seen what such and such has released, etc. And you think, oh, Christ, here we go again. But, um, yeah, it, it is. It's having the uncomfortable conversation. So how did you get into band management? Where have you, where's your kind of... How did you find your way into this weird world? I mean, I've, I've always had an enormous passion for, for rock music. Um, possibly a little more to the, on the heavier side. I'm, I was, my 
sort of LP collection was more Megadeth and Metallica than it was Bon Jovi, etc. Um, but I do love some stuff by Bon Jovi. I love. Um, I was a, as with most people, I was a big AC/DC fan. Loved Skid Row, uh, Motley Crue, that sort of era, which was you know your sort of your very late eighties, early nineties, you know crescendo of music like that. Superb stuff, actually, even a little bit earlier with that with a couple of them. Um, and I sort of, long story short, you know, I've always had a proper job, as it were. And literally five or six years ago, I think it was six years ago, we had the patio doors at the back of the house, the lock broke, went in the yellow pages. Found, well, it's showing me age, it wasn't the yellow pages. <laughs> I went on Google, I've, you know, I'm not a complete technophobe. Um, rang up a locksmith and the guy who turned up long hair, school earrings covered in tattoos and I thought, ah I, I bet he's heard of a few bands that you know I've heard of. Job took half an hour and he was there for three and a half hours and that was Liam Sargent out of Hell's Addiction. He left me with his studio copy of the demo of the Broken album that they released in 2016 early 2016 and we just ended up chatting every now and then over Facebook and it ended up, I went and saw it. We became good, pretty good friends at the time. Went and watched a gig, loved it. They at the time, um, and I, I won't mention any names, but they were having quite an unpleasant time with their current management to the point that they were pretty much on the verge of saying, that's it, we've had enough. Because they got to play Download. They opened Download in 2016. And then... Uh, I think it was Danny was talking to me about it, the other guitarist, and he said to me, you know, our next gig after that was playing in front of like 12 people in some dodgy pub in Manchester, you know, and that's what had been set up for them. And they just thought, no, this this isn't making sense, and they were paying quite a lot of money for what they were doing at the time. So they pretty much um, put a nail in the coffin with it all. Um, they sold the band van, etc., etc., and... Um, I happened to be talking to Liam and I said, look, I'm not being funny, but it sounds like everybody's having a go at making their decisions. You've got no central point. You're not, you've got no focus on anything beyond the fact of having a good time and playing the music. If you want a bit of advice, I'll, I'll give you a bit of advice. Let me have a look at the numbers and behind the scenes. And I did. And after about six months, we were sat chatting and they just said, you know, oh, can you talk to such and such for us? I said, oh, well, I can, but what do I, how do I introduce myself? And they all sort of looked at each and said, well, you're the band manager, aren't you? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And that was three and a half years ago now, something like that. Um, since then, I've, and I'd, I'd, it was a very quick learning process, baptism of fire almost, but the advantage I had is I was coming into it without all the jaded side of it, the getting turned back. And, the, and you know, I've, I've now got, amazing contacts over in the states australia japan speak to people left right and center i get you know my inbox my business inbox for you know my company i, I for every one mail i get in that I, I probably get 20 related to music now and i love it and it's it's working for them you know they've had they've had some great success in the charts and album three is without being too blatant with the plug it's sort of it is shaping up to be something quite special you can plug away, it's your job. Yeah, well, I know, I know. But to be honest, I, where they're concerned, I generally think that their music says more than I ever can. 
yeah, that's how I sort of fell into it. So it was it was more by accident than by design. It was yeah. I mean, if somebody had ever approached me, I'd have all, I'd, you know I'll always have a go at anything. I've sort of I'm lucky in being able to turn my hands to and do a reasonable job of most things I've ever tried. But when it came to the music, it genuinely gave me a bounce in my step when I was getting out of bed in the morning. Absolutely loved it, and I still do love it. Can't imagine not doing this anymore, to be honest. And, you know, like I say, I've, it's not common knowledge. There's a, there's a number of bands I've helped, particularly in situations like getting them out of contracts and things like that. I've got a, a certain amount of legal knowledge in my background. And I've just sort of tried to help bands use the resources they've got in a, a more sensible way than just sort of someone saying, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get you to number 10. I'll get you in Classic Mag. I'll, I can definitely get you on Planet Rock twice a week and etc cetera, etc cetera. and but you know it's going to cost you 250 pound a week or 300 pound a week and you you get a few thousand pounds in and you think not a lot's happened here what's going on but i think that's the same in any marketplace you get people who are there to make money and you get people who are there to go to sleep with a clear conscience and make some money um, and i think they're two very distinct groups so you you mentioned um that you've made a lot of contacts in the music industry how does anyone, be it a manager or a band or anyone, go about finding people <laughs> who are good contacts in the 21st century? With me, I was I was quite fortunate that I had um, a person that I started. Um, I, I did the V1 tour with House Addiction with him, a chap called Sean Haynes, Cold Promotions, real grafter, and he introduced me to... A few people but they're you know they're only sort of low to mid level if you like that the circuit we there's some very definite um borders between size of bands in terms of the circuits you operate on in in this game but once once i'd sort of made my first half a dozen mistakes and realized found how i wanted to approach it and how i was comfortable i genuinely just started approaching people and the thing is people there's so many people who are like, oh, well, how did you how did you get in touch with that guy you're talking to at Sony? And it's like we, we've, we've got a song on the new album that is dedicated to the Netflix series Stranger Things. And we sample some audio out of one of the episodes for it. And everybody was saying, like, you know, well, we're not going to be able to put it on the album because we haven't got the rights to do it or whatever. So I just I just spent half an hour Google searching, finding who I thought sounded like a relevant person in Netflix and just reached out and just kept it simple and honest. There's definitely, I mean, there's music forums out there that you can, you know, you you have to be quite careful on there because it's where you will find quite a few of the sharks that are looking for, you know, if a band goes on and says, oh, you know, we, we want to know how to do this promotion project or this, that and the other. And to the less, uh, the more dubious, I should say, of, of some of the people out there, they'll read that and think, Ooh, I just see pound signs in neon lights, you know. But to be honest, a lot of the time there are a lot of, and I probably might put myself out of a job here. There are an awful lot of functions that bands can do themselves, and they've just really just got to follow quite a simple, a simple process. Don't, you know, nobody's interested in you trying to tell them everything about your band and what you're trying to do in one email. They just look at it, and if they see a page and a half of information with a few pictures on it, and they, you know, go and look at these 15 videos we've done, etc. They they just scroll down. It's like, well, 
that's too much for me um if you just extend a hand out and say look i've heard good things about you would like to at your convenience have a, a chat about x y and z just drop me a line back here's my, my contact details and then just be honest and don't say you've reinvented the wheel when you know you haven't so it's about being open and it's about being honest and realistic about yourself and what you can offer the person as well as finding out what they can offer you yeah i think that's that's a good way of, of you know the, the thing is if there was a magic recipe somebody would have bottled it by now and they'd be making a fortune and there'd be an awful lot of very big bands out there but the, the reality is there is um there's an enormous amount of talent out there the way the way a lot of people approach it is they think right if we're gonna get we need you know we need an agent we need a manager or we need to be signed to a label or we and a lot of those things are purely historic as far as i'm concerned it's almost like sort of muscle memory reactions to the situation you're in and although it sounds it doesn't sound like there's any deep thought in it but in every walk of life that i've operated in you you do notice and recognize people who are just being genuine not just genuine with you but genuine about what they can do somebody rings me up i've, I've had I had a band get in touch with me towards the end of last year and they basically said look we want you to do what you've done with house addiction for us and how much do you charge sort of thing and i said well to be honest i can't really do what i've done with house addiction with you i can give you advice on x y and z but i'm I'm generally really good friends with Hell's Addiction and the band is a part of my life now as well. It's it's not just a job, it's, you know, I've got a passion for the band and you can't switch that on with, I've got to really, to be in that situation again, I'd have to really like the people, really like the music and have about another five spare days a week than I've got at the moment, you know, which I haven't got. But yeah, I think there's people think it's a very corny old phrase you know, you know be honest be fair etc etc but it's it's quite hard to find genuine versions of that out in the marketplace and it's it's not so much sometimes that people aren't being honest with you it's just they they very much want to protect their own position so you don't get the full story you don't get all of the help they could be giving you and sometimes you know i, I like to approach things as it's always in my opinion better to be you know have part of something than all of nothing it, it sounds like a strap line out of a marketing magazine but it's, it's worked for me and as a result you know I, I don't have one single thing i do in life I, I do a bit of a number of different things and it keeps me young or, or at least that's what i hope my wife thinks um so when someone starts a band they obviously go in with a lot of hopes and dreams and they will tend to not always but they'll tend to think about it purely as a kind of creative endeavor as something to enjoy and create music and gig and all those kinds of things but i think what a lot of bands miss that i think you understand very well is that a band functionally needs to be a business as well as a creative endeavor so what do you think um, is important for a band to consider when they are thinking about trying to think about themselves as a business rather than just purely creative one of the, the, the fundamental things you know a, a lot of bands spend quite a lot of time inebriated shall we say so it's you've got to separate if you're out doing a gig you know or 
I don't know, you're doing some sort of promo thing, always leave the band business at home. Separate the product side of the band from the back office side of the band. A lot of bands, um, well, I say a lot of bands, I'm guessing at that, but I have seen bands that they'll they'll see somebody's at a gig that, you know, there's an A&R man or somebody's just sent a whisper down, there's a, there's a DJ from such and such a station at the back of the room. And they'll try and, they think that's their opportunity to go and do the deal or get noticed. It isn't. It's, it's your opportunity that night to play out your skin and put a great show on. So that's what they'll remember. And then at a later date, you drop a message across or get in touch and say, oh, well, I've just found out you saw us play at such and such three weeks ago. We'd love to have have your thoughts about it and just start a conversation with them like that but in terms of, of, the, of the pure business unless you get to a specific level you've got to be realistic there is not a lot of money there are times when house addiction make a bit of money there are times when they lose a bit of money but it's it's a much tighter ship now that we've separated and left all of that side of it to one person in the background that then person who looks after the business side of it has to understand the fundamentals of business essentially if there's nobody in your band that has any business knowledge at all then someone needs to at least do you know a fundamentals in in business or something or at least if you've got the opportunity don't be afraid to ask for help from you know you, you might you know your, your best mate might run his own building firm or you might have a a friend who's been a self-trader for the last five years, etc. They will understand how you need to control money in versus money out because it's very easy to all of a sudden a lot of bands split up because they'll they'll look at the, the financial history over the last twelve months and they'll be like, "Is that how much we've spent?" You know, and it, it can be horrifying sometimes. There's bands out there that I know have lost thousands and thousands and thousands, and it's just because. They're, they've made the mistake of thinking there's a product or a person out there that if you give them enough money, they can make you as famous as the last band you saw come away from that person who is now has the level of fame you're looking for. There's just too many moving variables in it to, to have a one-stop shop. But you, you definitely have to have, you have to sort of switch the fun button off sometimes. And you have to, you have to. If you, if you're serious about being successful, you really do have to think carefully about the the finance that goes on behind it, and accept that while you're establishing yourself, you need to say we can afford, I don't know, five thousand pounds a year to invest in this project, and we don't mind not getting a penny back. You know, you try and maximise what you get back, but it's like starting a new business. You You've got a, you've, you've got your setup costs of getting your name out there in the marketplace, and I can't see that changing at all. I mean, what's what's happened with Corona has, has definitely moved. There's now a marketplace I think that may establish and become long term with some of the live entertainment moving on online, as it were. It's very very early days with that, but there are already some companies out there setting up with the advert of we specialise in making you look great in whatever you want to use, Zoom or whatever. I think there's much better pieces of software out there, but 
the fundamental rule exists. If if you want to get well known, you've effectively, like with any product, you've got to advertise, and to advertise costs money. You 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 gig your ass off. Don't get me wrong. You you know you get out, you play as many gigs as you can, you work hard. That will get you an organic following. But if you want to step outside your geographic area, or much further out your geographic area, and you want to regularly be popping up on, if you know we live in Leicester, if we want somebody to regularly be popping up in front of people in Newcastle or Scotland or Ireland or what have you, you've got to be out in the um, the local mags in that area or on the stations in that area, which doesn't always cost money, but it makes it more. Um, you get a better hit rate of getting played, put it that way. Yeah, there's there's lots of different types of promotion and some of them do and cost money and some of them don't. So it depends on what you're looking for. Um, Something you've touched on there, which is really, really dominated this year, no one will be surprised to hear, is coronavirus. And for bands, it's been... I'm going to use the word devastating because most bands I know, gigs is essentially the reason why they formed a band because gigging is fun and it's great to do and it you know it's it's great to play with people and play in front of people and that right now is sort of starting to happen i've seen a few outside things but in the uk at least basically isn't happening so what do you think bands should be focusing on this year with the kind of lack of gigs I, to some extent that's fairly simple and then on the flip side it, it it's quite difficult you You've got to have some sort of method for keeping something fresh in front of the fans you have and, you know, your your standard reach out on social media. We decided to start doing covers of Old Faithful songs. Um, we, we put a few new tunes in there as well and just did a video with some graphics on and a bit of editing. And at one point, you know, our, our reach had, had gone up I think it was about six and a half times higher than we'd ever seen before and that you know a big chunk of that was down to the everybody's or a vast significant amount of people are stuck at home a lot of people very upset that they can't go to their local venue to watch um to watch a band so there was there was almost the first third of the lockdown period i'd say there was almost like a call to arms where the whole music community came together. I think to some extent that's become a lot, a not, there's a big part of the marketplace that have become quite tired of that now. The enthusiasm, it definitely isn't there as it was at the beginning of lockdown. To some extent, I think there was a lot of people in lockdown, you know, nobody had ever experienced anything like that. Though there was a lot of concern and fear in the, around the country, there was almost a bit of a holiday atmosphere as well. People were like, give me recommendations for 10 computer games to occupy my time for the next four weeks sort of thing. The, ob the, the simple one, the obvious one, is it's been time you'll probably never have available again that you could dedicate a serious amount of time to writing new material. I think any band that hasn't been sat there and been writing material fairly consistently through the period or at least coming up with ideas or trying to get out on social media and, and network with people across the black box that is the internet i think they've really missed a trick there how's addiction when we came into the lockdown unfortunately we i think we had 
we had the studio session booked to complete album three somewhere in April. I can't remember where it was. That's awful timing. <laughs> it was awful timing. But we're now sat with potentially more songs than we can fit on the album. Fortunately, none of the songs they've written have undone any of the... They've got six recorded so far, and we haven't quite decided whether we're going to make it a 10 or 12-track album yet. But they, even though you know they were never in the same room together, all of the lads invested a little bit of time understanding how to record a, a better quality at home, because normally if they want to record anything, it gets done up at the practice rooms. And, you know, I'd, I'd get a, a track come across from the drummer and then I'd get a track come across from the guitarist who had also had the drum track and he'd mixed them together, sent to me. Then Ben would sing some vocals over the top of it. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you, you didn't have anything near a studio quality track, but you it was enough for them to be thinking about what needed changing in it. So that when they... It's a good demo. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say the quality was good demo but it was a demo we'll say a demo a good quality song i was i was trying to yeah, say uh, yeah yeah oh yeah quality song yeah yeah but i mean it was this thursday i think it was they had their first practice together in about four months they haven't played live this year which is just unheard of and i deliberately didn't go up to the practice session because i just wanted them to I thought there's going to be three or four sessions where they've got to learn how to play while standing up again, you know. Um, but the, the feedback was that after 10 minutes, they're, boom, they're straight back on it again, which I thought was great. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the opportunity, the biggest opportunity has almost passed, which is the time that was available for recording new material. I think towards the end of this year, I mean, we're... We're lined up to play a couple of festivals. Um, we've got a gig towards the end of the year. I just still don't... I'm not 100% that anything's going to play, particularly in a way that's financially viable. Venues were struggling to make ends meet with, you know, a 70% turnout. If they're being limited to 30%, you know, everybody's just going to have to cut their noses off to spite their face again. And I think, particularly in rock, particularly the classic rock genre, there's there, there's a lot of young people follow it, but it's more it's not unusual to see a lot of people in their 40s, 50s and 60s at these gigs. And the people in their 50s and 60s are the ones that are going to be most nervous about the whole corona risk. And sadly, they're usually the ones at a, a gig that have got the disposable to buy your merch as well. So the honest answer is I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. I think the only thing you can do to make use of the time and give yourself the best chance of having a presence in the marketplace when it does come back to some level of normality is just to make sure you've got as much product available as possible to put to market. I'm sure there'll be bands that release an album as soon as, as, soon as things are spinning again properly and they'll have a second album ready to release six months later because people have just had so much more time to create this stuff. But there is the, the downside that I know, for example, with Hell's Addiction, as a rule, their best stuff comes when the five of them are in practice room together. I haven't heard the new stuff played live in the practice rooms yet. They've all said they think it's top notch. So I've got to get myself up there next week and, and see what's what. But for those that can afford to do it, 
it's breathing in and just trying to last till I think things will be starting to get back to normal somewhere between March and June next year and that's that yeah you mentioned um social media and how important social media is for bands what do you think some effective methods of promotion be that social media or otherwise um are for bands in the sort of 21st century i think facebook well you've got facebook and instagram seem to be the the two tools people lean towards um i prefer facebook because i think you can unless you're generating and creating your own video unless you've got somebody behind the scenes who can create video material for you facebook's got quite a nice way of, of posting up some recent pics with a little bit of phone video and you know a nice write-up and this that and the other nothing particularly you know groundbreaking i think what bands don't do enough of is a lot of bands seem seem nervous to put up music that's anything other than a very tightly recorded studio version. We found that fans were really enjoying just seeing some more of the down and dirty. And I think you can do that without giving anything away in your game or damaging your reputation. But people love, you know, the, the behind the scenes stuff. You know, something we've done through the whole process of the album three is is record an awful lot of behind the scenes material because we, we get asked for it all the time and they've never really done it and when i first joined them i was doing everything i could to learn how to sort of make the videos that were going up on social media look better than what somebody had done in 10 minutes in iMovie or something but i think social media is very very important for all bands I think it's you know that there there's an element that's come out during lockdown that's it seems to have been you're either loved or you're hated on Facebook. There doesn't seem to be any in between. And you know our our policy with everything on social media is we always play Sweden. If if there's an argument going on, we we wave the Swedish flag and and we just don't comment because you know it, people don't realise how quickly social media can turn on you. Um, and once it's up there, it's up there. It's not like you can press delete, and that's associated with you for good. Then, people, I, I think people underestimate the value of learning how to boost your posts properly. Some people just they boost it and they say right, twenty miles from my postcode or whatever, you, and that's it. And they chuck fifty quid at it, and then they get really confused when their reach has only gone up by five thousand, and they've only had. 200 extra likes or what have you. I spend quite a long time refining the audience in a, in a Facebook boost. And I've, I've got it to a point where I can, I can spend 12 pounds over four days and regularly get about 25 to 30,000 on the reach and a lot of engagement as well. And it's, that again is really, you've got to teach yourself. You've got to invest some time in this stuff that, you know, isn't the fun side sitting on a stage you've got to you've got to sit down in your bedroom open your laptop and and learn how to do it you know the thing we always say in this podcast about especially facebook um ads is it's a very easy way to spend a lot of money achieving nothing but if you learn it it can be such a powerful tool yeah yeah it's it's 
I think a lot of people um, they think if I do this advert then everybody who's ever liked my page is going to see it and loads of people all around the world are going to see it and you know you really have to invest some time in understanding how the algorithms work and then you know I, you can I had, a, I had a great audience I was refining and it was going a potential audience of I don't know it was like 600,000 with eight criteria that was perfect for identifying people who, who might like Hell's Addiction music and I think I added one more on there it was something like electric guitar or something like that and it went down to an audience of about 18 people and I thought to myself well one that's quite impressive because I've managed to find a way of refining a, a select 18 people in the god knows how many billion are on Facebook and I thought that in itself just tells you they they've got to a point where that I don't know whether there's some flag in there like you get to criteria number nine and they just kill it because you're getting too clever at it then you you know you've got too much chance of it actually really working in your favor instagram i'm i'm personally not a big user of the uh luke morley in uh, in the band the drummer in the band he looks after instagram he's basically just a bit younger than me and down with the kids more than i am you know but you know it's, it's simple things like you can link your facebook to insta so you post on facebook it appears on insta it's amazing how you look at certain bands and they're only doing instagram or they're only doing facebook you know they they haven't got that they haven't tweaked that you know one amount of effort press return and it appears in three different um you know channels for getting your message out it's so easy to do isn't it yeah it is i was actually listening to one of your podcasts I think it's your podcast number three, four, or five, or something. Like that. And you talk where you're talking about social media and being able to get to the music quickly. Have a link. Have a link that works. Check your link. And it it's it sounds so obvious, but it's it to me it's flabbergasting how how many people just don't do it. Yeah, we wouldn't have said it if it wasn't important to say. No, exactly. And and when you said it, I did actually go onto my onto the band's Facebook page and just sanity check that every every address on there went somewhere. And I I I haven't actually in the about section I haven't got links in there to the music, which because of listening to your podcast is is something that I'm waiting for the lads to say which five songs they want to preview in there sort of thing. But yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a great tool. It's a it's the potential power and reach you've got in it is almost infinite but you to, to use it so it it's almost like trying to minimize the amount of damage it can do you if you go on there and you have a, a rant about something you you've really got to learn spend some invest some time learning how to use social media properly so final question from me and I'm, i don't know if you'll have a definitive answer for this or not if you had to give one piece of advice for a band say they're just starting out and they they don't i don't know it can be an, about anything at all one piece of advice what would it be me i would say decide and write down what you want to achieve sounds obvious and then everything you do ask yourself does that get me closer to that or does it send me sideways a bit in business, I had a, a very simple rule. If I changed every time one of my competitors did something a little bit new or dropped their price or changed the color of their website, you spend 
a frightening amount of time just reacting to what other people are doing rather than achieving what you've set out to achieve and, and reaching that goal. Obviously, you've got to have a mechanism in there. You don't write it down and stick to it for five years. You write it down and you say, look, as a band, we'll look at this every three months or something. But for each period, whatever we've said, that's what we want to do. That's our one main goal. You know, we want to open download or we want to get to play on one of the O2 stages or we want our first album out or we want to be on BBC announcing. Write it down and then every time an opportunity comes up in front of you, it's a simple yes or no. Does it help me get there or doesn't it help me get there? And if it doesn't help you get there, particularly if it's going to cost you anything, then you really need to think about, and you know, sometimes a band will be sat there and they'll think, it's not a very good gig, but it's the only one we've got on offer that weekend. Sometimes it's it's better to not play a poor gig in a, a venue that, you know, has a reputation for having poor sound or something, or it only ever has seven people turn up there and two of those work behind the bar. Sometimes it's better not to play those gigs because if you, if, if you have some pictures taken and it's showing the band on the stage, there's nobody in front of them or somebody videos a bit of the song and the, the PA is appalling and you come across sounding terrible, it will do you more damage than good. I've, I've got no end of footage where I've either recorded in a really poor area in the, in the venue where I'm sounds bouncing off every everything it shouldn't. And I'll, I always preview potential posts I'm putting up. A number of times I'll be told, look, do you really think that sounds good enough, Dave? And it, and sometimes, bless them, sometimes you get a fan that posts up a video and you just think to yourself, even knowing quite a bit about sound and music, I don't think I could recreate the effect that they've managed to get on their phone, you know. <laughs> but you, there's nothing you can do about that. But, yeah, figure out, and be honest with yourself, figure out what it is you want to achieve. I think that's a really solid and clear bit of advice. So we always have a band of the week at the end of a podcast. And I figure since you're here, Hell's Addiction is a very obvious band to feature this week. So I've asked you to choose which song you might want to put on the end of the uh, podcast. So what is that and why? It's a song for me that sort of, it ticks all the boxes of a classic rock track. It's got a phenomenal solo in it by Dan Weir. It's got a great hook in it, great riff. The drummer looks like he's going to injure himself and Ben gets to open his pipes up fully on his voice. And that song's called We're On Fire, which is off the Statutory Nuisance EP. So without further ado, here is Hell's Addiction with We're On Fire. David, thank you for the interview. Pleasure, Phil. Great pleasure. 